Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. He's to the 45. He's oh, to the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kami Amurabi, and joined by newlywed Jack Shields. How are we doing? How is everything going on? How's married life? It's good. I mean, we got back from our honeymoon like three days ago, so I'm kind of uh, readjusting to life back here. It's cold. Where'd you guys go? Oklahoma right now, so... Not great. So uh, anyway, where'd you guys where'd you guys go for the honeymoon? Went to Maui. Mm. Got married and went to Maui. So uh, yeah, not a bad week for me. And uh, yeah, pretty cool. Maui's awesome. I'll probably never get to go back again, but it was fun. Um, had a lot of good food. Drank a lot by the pool. Kayaked. Pretty dope. Mean- Meanwhile, it's a Mick Fleetwood's restaurant as well. Mick Fleetwood has a restaurant in Maui where he like randomly gets up on stage and starts drumming. That's fantastic. Pretty cool. Yeah, he didn't do it then because he's of like COVID concerns. But like anyway, yeah. he's an old guy. He has he has the right to be concerned about that. But uh, anyway, he wasn't playing while yeah. we were there. But anyway, he apparently goes up on stage and just fucking shreds on the drums. So and then you get to Oklahoma and it is forty degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not Love as it. cool. Love it. Not as yeah. cool, but uh, yeah, thankful to uh, you know, have married a lovely woman and uh, gone to you know, go on an awesome honeymoon with her. I'm the happiest man in the world right now. So, well, congrats on that, of course. Well, Tuesday nights. This is the first of many Tuesday nights we experienced uh, yesterday. Is the first college football playoff rankings. <laughs> are unveiled and to nobody's surprise really or at least not to my surprise well no one who was paying attention i mean you've had a lot of old heads you know saying oh i'm surprised at this well i mean you wouldn't be surprised if you were paying attention and listening to the right people morning of the rankings release alan released an article citing some metrics that the playoff committee typically goes by and it came out to OU coming out at number eight. Did mm-hmm. everyone listen? No. But, you know, it's not something that's shocking. But it's also not the death knell for this team either this year. I mean, 
it's all based on OU's lack of a strength of schedule at this point, essentially. Which, I mean, and, to be fair, who has OU played at this point? And, and it's not even who, the strength of schedule either, out. too. It's not just that, right? It's their performances yeah. in Well, yeah, it's also schedule. not winning convincingly as well, but you, know, you have plenty of opportunities to write that ship as far as that's concerned. I mean... You know, a lot of games that were supposed to be good up to this point just haven't been. Texas has not proven to be a quality win. Going into the season, people thought TCU was going to be a quality win for Oklahoma, and it's not at all. They're three and six, and Gary Patterson's gone. So, mm-hmm. you know, and Kansas State, I mean, that honestly, Kansas State, watch for that to turn into a decent win by the end of the year. They will probably finish the year eight and four and could maybe backdoor their way into the back of the top 25 and maybe provide a little extra jolt to uh, OU's resume potentially. Granted, they haven't really beaten anyone either, so yeah, uh, we'll see on that. But anyway, Baylor, number 12 right now. OSU, number 11 right now. Probably going to play OSU twice. Mm-hmm. And then Iowa State will probably backdoor their way into the top 25 as well and probably finish 8-4 and four, if I had to guess. So, I mean, there's still plenty of meat left on the bone for OU. I mean, it's... Uh, I could see them winning out and, you know, finishing probably third or something like that, you know, seeing where all these chips fall. I mean, Ohio State has to play Michigan State, and then they have to play Michigan. So Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State, two of those three are going to fall behind Oklahoma at some point. Alabama is – I think Alabama is pretty damn good. That's that's fair. But, like, yeah. uh, they shouldn't be number yeah. two right now. They're probably going to lose to Georgia. Georgia is legit. So – um yeah, Alabama will probably fall behind Oklahoma. You know, if they have two losses and OU has none, they can't keep Alabama ahead of Oklahoma, and they won't keep Alabama ahead of Oklahoma. Then you have Cincinnati who, you know, they have some decent games remaining against, you know, Houston and SMU, but the committee's not giving respect to those two opponents. So, therefore, Cincinnati's not really going to reap the rewards of those victories so much. So, Oklahoma will pass them based on strength of schedule by the end of the year. Would you say that Cincinnati has the best win out of like the majority of the top four teams? Like they beat Notre Dame. Who who has Alabama beat? Alabama hasn't beaten anyone, Paul. I ain't beat nobody, Paul. But um, So then then, why why are they? And they've been pummeling everybody else. Like they played Tulane close for a minute and then they pulled away, unlike OU. I mean, Michigan and, State has a pretty good win, and Oregon has a pretty good win. Yeah. So that that's that's about it, though. I mean, how many I teams in, have really looked that great this year? Think about it. Uh, none no, of them except your name Georgia, is Georgia. Georgia and Cincinnati looks has looked good. Cincinnati against, has looked good. Yeah, they the they've looked they've they kind of struggled the past couple of weeks, but they seem yeah. like a really solid team that can, you know, beat most teams that are in the running there. So I mean, but like I said, it's a lot of this is going to take care of itself. I think Oregon, Oregon looks pretty vulnerable and might drop one more game. I think, I think Michigan state could lose this weekend to Purdue. Mm. I think they could easily lose this weekend to Purdue. So, um, you know, there's a lot of chaos in college football. There's plenty that's going to happen. And even if, even if nothing crazy happens, Oh, you should still make their way into the top four at some point. So I'm, uh, yeah, I don't think any of us need to be particularly concerned at this point. Although yeah, it is I wasn't, I wasn't at all surprised to see OU outside of the top four. I mean, like, you look at the games they played, and realistically, 
they the teams they're supposed to beat down they've only done it once and it was this past week i mean uh, uh, that's that's really it and the in the, the the talent they played besides texas at the time who many thought was a good team was now four and four uh not looking great for them either and so talking about the cultural playoff a little bit further what are some scenarios that you think that even if Oklahoma goes undefeated, there's a chance that Oklahoma can get left out? I mean, I, I think of I think of, of course Alabama beating Georgia. That's really the, the only scenario in my head where that would happen, or, honestly. Or Oregon or Oregon uh wins out or whoever else wins out. I mean, just because of the sheer fact that OU uh, had a scare against Kansas. They have played mediocre football for the majority of the season, whereas other teams like Alabama, like Oregon, like uh, Ohio State, have they lost the games? Yeah, sure. But have they also won games that they're supposed to win convincingly? Yes, they have, and Oklahoma hasn't. And so it, it, would you say that Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC title game would be the main one that would keep an undefeated Oklahoma team out. Yeah, I, th- I that would be the one thing. And um, you know, I think in you know if Georgia beats Alabama, I could see the playoff being Georgia, the winner of the Big Ten, Oregon, and Oklahoma. That seems yeah. like the most likely scenario. Now, if Alabama Me- beats Georgia, then you have to think about measuring Oklahoma's and Oregon's resumes yeah. at that point, which Oklahoma at that point will have more quality wins at that point. However, Oregon would have the best win of the two of them winning at Ohio state. Meanwhile, so, Cincinnati gets completely screwed out of the equation. I think Cincinnati would be screwed in that scenario. I don't think it's right necessarily, but I mean, they're the system is just working against them here. So that's kind of, that ship it, has already sailed pretty much. It's more reason to expand to eight teams. It's it's just more right, reason yeah, to expand yeah. eight teams. I think so too. But um, because I'd like to see them be invited to the party in some format. Yeah. I think that would be only fair. They I mean, you you saw them against Georgia in last year's bowl season, and they they if they would have not collapsed at the very end, they were beating the hell out of Georgia. They in were their, in yeah, their bowl game until they collapsed at the end. Very well coached, really good defense, a good enough defense to hang with it pretty much any team that's in the conversation. Yeah, I agree. So I, I and, respect the hell out of them for that. But um yeah, if if you see Alabama beat Georgia though, then it, it you know it's a situation where I think Oklahoma would surpass Oregon, but we're gonna be sweating it. And I don't think any of yeah. us want to sweat it. So right. that's the thing that we have to sort of root against because I don't think the Big Ten's gonna get two teams in. They're going to kind of, uh, you know, cannibalize each other. So I think that's fair. Uh, there's three towards the end. So, yeah, and- I, I don't I think the only scenario that would really make us sweat if OU wins out would be Alabama beating Georgia. I don't think any other scenario would really have much effect there. I think it's pretty fair, especially because if Oklahoma takes care of business down the rest of the schedule, if they were to win the remaining games, including a conference championship game, they would likely have at least three ranked opponents in four weeks. I mean, right. that's, that's as simple as it gets. Yeah. It, well, and it, so it, 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 Iowa State, like I said, they can backdoor their way into the top twenty-five even with a loss to Oklahoma. If they finish eight and four, 
usually, you know, the back end of the top 25 at the end of the year is usually eight and four power five teams. Yeah. So Iowa fair. State could easily fall into that category. So I so, think that's very possible. The Sooners finally head on into a bye week, which is much needed, like very much needed. Yeah. To you, what is the most important thing that comes out of the bye week other than guys just getting healthy? Well, that was going to be the first thing I was going to say. I mean, and Oklahoma's already trending in the right direction as far as that's concerned, it seems like. Getting Redmond back, getting DTY back, uh, you know, getting perhaps a little closer to getting Woody Washington back, maybe a little closer to getting Theo Weiss back. I'm not holding my breath for either of those two to be back for Baylor, but it could happen theoretically. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That would be the main thing. And then other than that, I mean, just uh, – the offensive line getting something figured out. You know, Oklahoma has faced Dave Aranda twice in the past three years. They faced them, you know, you've, oh, you faced Baylor last year, and then they faced mm-hmm. uh, LSU the year before in the Peach Bowl. And on neither occasion did Oklahoma's offensive line hold up very well against Dave Aranda's unit. Yep. Dave Aranda is someone who can really cook up some things with the defensive line and seems to kind of have Bill Biedenboe's number. So that's one thing that will that we should all really watch at the very beginning of the game on Saturday to see if Bill Biedenboe's unit is holding up and is able to run block a little bit. Because, I mean, OU didn't even try to get anything established against Texas Tech. It was kind of odd. But, um, yeah, you know, I it's, I mean, part of it, might have been something they saw, but, you know, still a little disconcerting that they didn't even at any point really dominate on the ground or even try yeah, to dominate. The, long, the, the longest run they had, the longest run they had from the line of scrimmage was 12 yards. Yeah. That was at, toward but the end of not, the game. Not what you're looking for against Texas Tech, for sure, and not what you would expect against Texas Tech, to be sure. Um, yeah, that would be the main thing that I would look for heading into that game. And one thing to yeah, watch. No, I agree. That and that's, so. that's one of the things that I would point out too, is a, besides getting healthy is just getting reps on the offensive line. I mean, you look at the Texas tech game, you look at all the other games before you see a ton of different rotations still going on. You are still seeing guys being rotated in on the offensive line. Apparently Graham didn't start last week because he was late to a meeting and that's fine. It's, it's whatever, yeah. but do you, you occasionally you still see Eric Swenson rotating in at guard, not even at tackle anymore. Occasionally you see, you still see Anton Harrison or Wanye Morris. It's like, I don't, I, it, it's, it's so strange to me that usually by at least Texas, Oklahoma has figured out who their best combination of five is exactly. yeah. and they still don't have it nailed down. It's yeah. still an issue. And I think part of the Texas tech thing is a, they a Texas tech was wanting Caleb Williams to beat them with his arm. B, and he did. Uh, Very I think Oklahoma had just so many explosive plays through the air, and they took what was given to them, and it was simply put, they, they scored on a lot of those. They, I mean, remember those graphics at the beginning of the year? They're like, oh, man, Oklahoma has no more explosive plays. What's going on Lincoln Riley? And then all of a sudden you insert Caleb Williams, and now all of a sudden you have a – Ton and the box. several, yeah, yeah. several explosive plays because having to stack the box, you can't have yeah. two safeties high. And it's so still it a little surprising entire... that they didn't really try to establish anything on the ground. At any yeah, point. I thought it was, it was odd. 
that was odd. But at, to their credit, they took what they were given and didn't really try to get too cute with anything and decisively won and put together a pretty damn good performance. So I also thought there were a couple of possessions where there was a read option or a zone read where Caleb kept the ball instead of giving it to Kennedy Brooks that might have spurred some runs. But again, it, this all comes back down to the offensive line. The, the wide receivers and Caleb Williams seem to have developed a rapport. I mean, Caleb, Caleb Williams seems to spread the ball out way more than any quarterback than I can remember in recent Oklahoma history. I mean, he really spreads the ball around, goes through his progressions, yeah. which is fantastic. I mean, you, again, you're, we're just looking at the offensive line and, and like shrugging, like what is what is it going to happen? Is Bill Beatembo, if, if this continues into next year, it does his seat get a little bit warm despite the fact that they won that Joe Moore award a while back? Does his seat get a little warm? And that's those are questions that they'll have to answer. So it's a good week, uh, week for a bye week to get everybody healthy, to have fresh legs going into Waco, and really just to come out of this. I mean, I mean, one of the and what's interesting is that we go into this bye week likely seeing most likely seeing the very last time you see Spencer Rattler throwing a football in a sooner football, uh, sooner uniform. I mean, I, that's a, that's barring a an injury. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Of course, barring injury, a very real possibility. And, you know, as you saw last year, Spencer Rattler wilted in the red river shootout. He got benched, came back and played rel- uh, relatively and pretty well, actually really well kind of turned a season around. This year, yeah, he wilts again. Like he, he literally runs into pressure, fumbles the ball, throws into triple coverage, and gets benched. But Caleb Williams actually turns the game upside down on its head, and Oklahoma rolls with Caleb Williams. And now suddenly, Vegas is saying Spencer Rattler is a one-to-one odds in just declaring for the NFL and. A couple of different odds of him going to like UCLA and re- replacing Dorian Thompson Robinson or going to Arizona State, maybe. Uh, what what do you what do you think happens with Spencer Rattler after the season? And then, but with that said, what do you think is best? Do you think that him going to the NFL happens and that is best, or are are there two different caveats or two different decisions we got here? I get the sense that he would probably elect to go to the NFL. But um, and I think he would if he likes to do that, he will just based on his arm talent alone. I know his pocket presence needs a lot of work. I mean, you saw that against Texas when Oklahoma's offensive line wasn't protecting very well. He kind of panicked and uh, got pretty rattled there. So he needs work on that. But his arm talent is second to none in college football and is, you know, will absolutely translate to the next level he'd immediately have one of the best arms in the nfl i mean he's a he is a cannon just plain and simple but um you know based on that alone you would think he would probably go in one of the first three rounds of the nfl draft just based on that alone i mean people really are in love with that so i he would definitely make a very good living for himself and might land himself into a good opportunity where he can develop a little bit he isn't mm-hmm. necessarily relied upon to start right away in the NFL if he's you know drafted in the second or third round. So I think that could be a pretty good opportunity for him. But at the same time, if he goes to a place like UCLA and uh, you know has a good run under Chip Kelly, he could you know bring his stock back up into the first round potentially. So 
Do I think he'll do that? Not necessarily, but do I think he could benefit from that? Yes, barring an injury. So, you know, then at the same time, I mean, he might not want to, you know, risk injury and might want to just, you know, pack his bags and head to the NFL. But See, wherever he problem, goes, I'm getting guy, But My problem with him going to the NFL is this, is, is I mean, Lincoln Riley, does anybody really actually believe that Lincoln Riley just gave him the day off on Monday after he no. was benched. Nobody no. believes that. And, and and everybody knows it's because he was essentially like hurt, I guess. His pride was his pride was certainly hurt uh, yeah. by the his benching. And I imagine there has to be something with an agent there as far as you know, like you can't quit actively. You can't take things off your social media. You can't act a certain way or else yeah. teams will think of you in a certain way. And I think right. NFL scouts and I think in, in, in those circles that those people know already know those things. So I think it would it be smart for them to go to the NFL draft. It depends on how well he, I, I, don't, I it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him go to the NFL draft. Do I think it would be more beneficial for him if he went to a more wide open offense with somebody like Lane Kiffin or somebody that could really improve his draft stock and really improve like and show what he showcase what he has? Probably yeah, I think I, would be pretty fun to watch. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it would be a good situation because he can sling it with the best of them, but at the same time, I. <laughs> It seems he has he has a massive lack of awareness. Uh, he has a massive lack of pocket awareness. That's first of all. Yeah. He also seems like he knows his position on the field very well, but doesn't necessarily know the other ten guys on the on the field. They're what they're supposed to be doing very well. As where Caleb Williams, it feels like the total opposite. And Caleb Williams, you feel like you know what you're getting in a guy that understands not just his job but the other 10 guys on the team. And of course I'm making an assumption. This is not something that, uh, that I I'm just like pulling out of sources. These are just observations that I'm making of Spencer Rattlers definitely has superior arm talent to the Caleb Williams, but Caleb Williams is likely has more tools and is more talented than Spencer Rattler. Is he more talented than Spencer Rattler right now? Probably not. Will he grow into that and be more talented by the end of his career or by the end of next year? I would say probably most likely, especially because last year, all you heard from December on was, oh man, this Sooners team is complete. Spencer Rattler has arrived. And you hear that over and over and over for eight months straight. And you come into the, you come into the regular season. And the next thing you know, you get punched in the mouth and things aren't going for you very well. And you're under scrutiny. And it just, it, it it's, it's a bad look. It's, it was, it's a bad look. And it's it's not good for him. So I, I I wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if he went to the NFL. But I if for his sake, if he wants the money, or if he just wants to be on an NFL team, uh, then go to the NFL. But for his sake, I mean, just for longevity, for a better contract. If I were him, he, I would go well, play he for Lane. Or kind of rehabilitate his. Image. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all out there. I mean, it's it's not necessarily all an accurate picture, but I mean, some of it likely is. So anyway, it's uh, there's a lot of rumors flying around the NFL circles. You would think so maybe a year to sort of rehabilitate his image in those circles and just publicly would probably benefit him greatly, but because I don't necessarily think he's going to do that. I think he because kind of Lincoln Riley, 
at every stop has coddled Spencer Rattler, has stood up for Spencer Rattler at, at every opportunity, but at the same time is willing to criticize Caleb Williams because I think Caleb Williams and, and Brady Trantham, friend of the pod and good friend in general, uh, he mentioned that Caleb Williams is able to take that that critique and take that constructive yeah. criticism, whereas Spencer Rattler, maybe not so much. And scouts notice that. Scouts can see that. And scouts are very aware of like things in the program and not just what the head coach is going to tell them. They're going to be very aware of like the QB one situation under the lights of Spencer Rattler's maturity. That was my, that was my biggest fear heading into the Spencer Rattler era of Oklahoma football is has it, he's got the talent has yeah. he matured as a person and has he matured as a quarterback and as a leader. And to me, the answer is not so much, but I mean, at least I, not I'm on sh- the surface. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. And I, I'm sure other NFL scouts, they can see right through that kind of stuff that Lincoln, like Lincoln Riley saying, Oh, well, that was one of his better throws in between three defenders. Despite the fact that Caleb Williams is over here throwing the ball 50, 50 at real 50, 50 balls, where it's just a defender and a wide receiver and not trying to fit a ball in between a safety, a cornerback, and some other cornerback in the vicinity or a linebacker. It's just unbelievable to me how he's been coddled with that entire situation. But Oklahoma, after the Kansas game, because like I thought you would see Spencer Rattler on camera during the TCU game after the Texas game several times. And that wasn't the case because Caleb Williams was just playing out of his mind like he has been. But you saw Spencer Rattler, and I mentioned this to Steven, you saw Spencer Rattler so many times during the Kansas game. They made sure to to pan on him in, in, in on his face during the Kansas game because they were down 10-0 at half. And really, it looked very bleak once they went down 17-7 to toward the very end of the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, they come back, they win. Caleb Williams does his, his things. He does like those incredible plays that you would have never thought to have. I, it's, it's, it's just weird. It's, it's wild. Things that you would have He's never Superman. thought you'd have seen is some in just being, having the presence of mind, having the football IQ, and just taking a pure chance of, I'm not sure if this is within the rules, but I'm going to do it anyways because it's behind the line of scrimmage. And we'll see what happens on the other end. And having the presence of mind to do such a thing, that's why I say Caleb Williams not just knows his job well, but knows the, the jobs of the 10 other players on the field at the same time. Why did it take this long in preparation for Texas Tech for people to say, oh man, this is, we've heard at a, we've heard at a practice, this is probably the most intense practice that the Sooners have had all year. How, how come it took the Kansas game, despite all the other close, mediocre performances from non-complimentary football, because Lincoln Riley kept on saying, "Oh, we're close. Oh, we're close. Yeah, you're close to lose. You're close to losing every week." And it took the Kansas game to finally say, "You know what? Let's take it up a notch in practice." Why is it till after the Kansas game and not any of the games before that? 
that, that they decided to flip the switch. What like what are you thinking? Well, you would think that like kind of what you mentioned, you would think that that close call against Tulane would light a fire under their ass. Now, granted, it seemed to light a fire under the ass of the defense after that. The defense for the next few weeks played pretty well. Offensive line, not so much. Spencer Rattler, not so much. But, um, and then, you know, as the season went on, you kept having, you know, more close calls like this. And, you know, Lincoln's always at the presser saying, oh, we're so close. Oh, we're so close. And every week you kind of had the same old song and dance. But, you know, what would, I mean, to be fair, what could possibly light a fire under your ass more than the criticism following that game against Kansas? That's fair. Nothing's going to be worse than that. There, That's as high as the bar gets as far as criticism is going to go. Yep. I mean, that was embarrassing. And they were, I think that might have been kind of rock bottom, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. And maybe they had kind of a come to Jesus moment there. So maybe that finally got it going. But I mean, also, I mean, I would say as much as any, as anything, getting DTY back helped as much as anything. It helped the defense a whole lot. I mean, the defense was having trouble getting off the field the past few weeks. They were having a lot of trouble on the back end against TCU. Getting DTY back, I think. I mean, I'm sure everything with the practice and the intensity and all that had a huge impact and everything like that. But I think personnel-wise, getting DTY back helps more than anything, honestly. So, you know, and so how I feel about that. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like, what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or, what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news, State Farm is there for all your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. We fast forward a week later, they play the Texas Tech Red Raiders, and they finally beat a team, and they finally beat the hell out of a team that you're supposed to beat the hell out of. Texas Tech, they're not that great of a team. They're 5-3. and The rest of their games are against ranked opponents. They're just trying to get bowl eligible, and all all the, the remaining four opponents that included Oklahoma are ranked. They fire Matt Wells, which I thought was actually kind of premature for being quite honest with each other. Yeah, and I don't know who Texas Tech thinks they are. That was weird. <laughs> but that was so weird. It's, you, you go five and three to start the season, and you have a good win over Houston. That was a really good win in hindsight. Yeah, Houston's a good win. I mean, and they you know picked up some decent wins along the way. They won in Morgantown, I believe. I mean, yeah. You know, they, they, I mean, they were definitely a team that, oh, you should have steamrolled, but they're not a, 
they're not a crappy team. Yeah, I mean, I agree in the grand scheme of things. I mean, and it's I mean, and everyone expected Texas Tech to be terrible this year, and they really yeah. weren't terrible. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, Texas Tech is not a destination. I mean, Lubbock is garbage. I mean, it's I, I agree. It's tumbleweed. Difficult Actual to tumbleweeds to that place. And honestly, I think te- uh, Mike Leach kind of ruined that job for every single one of his predecessors because that fan base thinks that they should be winning eight or nine games a year, which yeah, that's true is not a reality historically for that program. I mean, that's, it's that's or based on their geography and resources compared to their competitors. Yeah. I mean, that's not a school that should be, you know, upset about not making a bowl game every year. I mean, they should be content with, you know, six and seven win seasons in Lubbock, but they don't, they don't feel that way. That fan base is kind of trash. So. I would agree with that statement as well. I mean, there are good, there, there are good Texas tech people, but for the most part, in my experience, I'm not a big fan of the Texas tech folks. I mean, I'm that's just where I no, stand. It's it's by far the worst fan base in the Big Twelve. I I would agree. I would agree with that. Not that close and, anymore. They used to have some decent competition. Mizzou was a pretty decent, yeah, runner up there. Uh, Colorado, when they were good, they were really obnoxious. Like in the '90s and early 2000s, yep. they were super obnoxious. But uh, you know, Tech was always kind of the king there. And Tech is, I mean. I've been all around. I mean, I lived in SEC country for a while, and Texas Tech is still one of the worst. I mean, you go anywhere, and they measure up with most fan bases as far as being awful. They're they're terrible. And so after watching Caleb Williams just be incredible, and one of his passes, granted, the touchdown pass to Braden Willis probably should have got it intercepted because it went right oh, yeah. through the hands of a Texas yeah, Tech defender. I didn't realize that it was that close until OU <laughs> tweeted that slow-mo video. And then I was like, yeah. oh. He threw a bullet. Okay. Like, in I a mean, lot of his passes, honestly, are either bullets or... Because, I mean, yeah. if that hits that guy's arms, it's not being picked off. It was a bullet from, like, five feet away or ten feet away. Yep. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't catching that, but uh, not with, you know, that, you know a ball coming at him that quickly and him not being able to be able to react in that time. He wasn't going to be able to catch that. But but, but after wa- after watching this game, because you saw this game cool down, you even saw Spencer Rattler come in and throw a garbage time touchdown pass. You saw you got a, he got a standing ovation. I thought that was cool. The that, fans was nice. to, that was really to, nice. To, you know, give him, to give him a cheer. And once he scored that touchdown, everybody on the sideline went crazy for him. Even Caleb Williams came over and, you know, got excited for him. Everybody's excited. I mean, I bet he was excited, but at the same time, had his own internal monologue going. But what what it what is the feeling after beating a team like that that you're supposed to beat like that? Is that a, there's is there a sense of joy? Is there a sense of relief? What relief. what is the feeling after that? It, it, so why is it relief? It's relief because I mean, if you, I mean, if you throw out another stinker and barely beat them and give up a bunch of plays on the back end again or something like that, I mean, you're gonna have our fan base is going to have two weeks to stew on that. <laughs> like, I mean, it wouldn't have been yeah. fun at all. And we would have been a lot more nervous about these games coming up. And I, it could have impacted the confidence a little bit. And, you know, it's, you could say that maybe, Oh, Oklahoma could have benefited from, you know, having another 
you know, more detractors, you know, after another, you know, close game or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it feels like coming in at number eight is taking care of that. I mean, they seem to have a chip on their shoulder from that. Oh, yeah. A lot of the players are on Twitter right afterwards. Yeah. You know, I, um, Baylor's really good, and that's going to be a really, really, really tough game. It's going to be tough to get I'm out worried of about. I'm worried about the Baylor game. I'm, I'm, I'm worried I'm, about the Baylor game way more than any other game. I'm worried about Baylor and Iowa State. I'm not very worried about Oklahoma State, if we're being quite no, honest with uh, each other. Now, granted, Spencer Rattler – or not Rattler, Spencer Sanders has been looking a lot better lately. But um, I'm not too concerned about Oklahoma State's offense against an OU defense that is playing a little bit better right now. So Yeah. And I, so, I, I like OU's chances in Bedlam. Uh, both Bedlams, I think we're going to have two back-to-back weeks. And I uh, I don't know if emotionally I'm equipped to handle two straight weeks of <laughs> Bedlam. Um, I mean, I, I married an OSU grad. I mean, it's oh, no. going to be going to be whatever. But like, yeah, we'll get through it. But um, you know, it's uh, you know, two straight weeks of Bedlam. I mean, I thought two straight basketball games against OSU was tough last year. Imagine it with football and it being, you know, the anxiety being stretched out over 14 days. I mean, and so, I mean, you saw, that, you saw Oklahoma in Texas Tech. You said, I mean, Oklahoma had DTY and Jalen Redmond dressed out for the Kansas game, but they didn't play. Then you see right. Oklahoma have DTY and Redmond actually play against Texas Tech. And then you finally take Isaiah Thomas. You finally supplant Redmond there and put Isaiah Thomas back on the edge where he belongs. And suddenly you start seeing him make plays. And granted, Texas Tech's offensive line isn't the best, but again, they're not the worst. I mean, Oklahoma has seen worse offensive lines. And things start to click. You start to see the defense do a lot better. Granted, Texas Tech's offense is not that great. They're not that good. But at the same time, just the amount of havoc they were creating on the offensive line, having Isaiah Thomas back on the edge, not on the inside. I mean, you saw OU get Redmond and DTY back. You saw Key Lawrence actually play pretty well. You saw you saw made plays on the ball yeah. as a safety or as a guy that I thought should have been a nickelback. And you might even get Woody Washington back for the Baylor game. That's not confirmed. It's just an it's not even an expectation at this point. It's a hey. This could happen. Woody Washington could come back for the Baylor game. Theo Wees, who knows if he even comes back for the rest of the season. But let's say Woody Washington does come back for the Baylor game. Let's say he does. How high is this team's ceiling after the bye week? I mean, if Woody Washington comes back, I mean, you remember going into the year, us talking about how much depth this team had defensively across the board. With Redmond, DTY, and potentially Woody Washington, if Woody Washington's back, you kind of go back to that discussion a little bit. Yep. And you now have a guy in Key Lawrence who would basically be your third corner and your third safety. He could be, you know how serviceable he is at both positions now. It's and like that- Trey Norwood. The guy knows how to play pos- all positions on the field because he play- he's had experience he's, at cornerback in Tennessee. To. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, Key Lawrence, yeah, he had, you know, experience at both positions at Tennessee, and now he's proven it at Oklahoma as well. So, uh, you know, he had a good game at safety against Kansas and had a really good game yeah. at corner against Tech. I mean, he's, um, 
you know, having a guy like that, if Woody comes back as basically you're a guy who can rotate in at corner and a guy who can rotate in at safety, I mean, that's, it's a huge boost to your depth. I mean, if you can, you know, mm-hmm. get Woody back and basically be able to do whatever you want with Key Lawrence there. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, I like Billy Bowman, but I don't like Billy Bowman at corner. Oh, I hate it. No, it's no, so bad. Oklahoma's no longer in the position where they have to play Billy Bowman at corner. It's just, it's just, it's not his natural position. He's not very, he doesn't have a ton of length. I mean, I think he does he's a not tall. He's not fast enough. He's, he's a, he's a bulky nickelback. Yeah. He's a, he's a bulky nickelback and a guy that yeah. can play in the slot. And, and so, Let's talk about the next three games, right? I mean, like Woody Washington does raise the ceiling of the team uh, if he's healthy. Granted, yeah. I mean Key Lawrence again. Go back and look at the tape. The guy made plays on the ball. He played yeah. really, really well. I know it's Texas yeah, yeah. Tech, but he's physical. He's a long, maybe not as speedy as the other guys, but he's definitely an Alex Grinch type defensive back. And I'm glad we got to see what he had because you saw him make plays on the ball. He was actively making those plays on the ball that Jaden Davis wishes he could make plays on the ball. Yeah. And so teams and he's aren't a throwing at deep. Who actually isn't a liability when someone's in the open field. He can actually bring yeah. a guy down to the ground. Jaden Davis and not. Jaden and, and DJ Graham, nobody's throwing the ball. Everybody's throwing the ball at the opposite, opposite corner Graham. of DJ Graham. Yeah. <laughs> so you just need somebody there that can make at least make a tackle if the ball is caught. And we all know Key Lawrence. That dude is built. That yeah. dude is muscular. He's long. He's athletic, and he was getting hyped during the game because he's making plays. So yeah. let's talk about the, let's talk about these next three games on a scale of one to ten. One being you're not concerned at all to ten, meaning like you are at red alert. So let's start off. Let's get what's let's just reel them off at Baylor, Iowa State at home in Norman, and then at Stillwater, Bedlam. For each of these, what is your worry rating? For Baylor, just because of what I think their defensive front can do to Oklahoma's offensive line, I'm putting that in an eight for concern. Mm. I, 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 If you ask me who's going to win that game, I would say Oklahoma just because I think Caleb is going to do enough with his legs to kind of move the pocket and kind of mit- mitigate that concern a little bit. But um, I, I would put that at eight. And I mean Baylor. It was, I mean they're they're good in all facets of the game. They don't really have a huge weakness there. But I mean Oklahoma's talent, I think, can win out there. And I think Caleb Williams is, you know, playmaking, moving the pocket, can win there too. But um, I put that in an eight, a solid eight for sure. Iowa State. Um, that defense is playing a lot better now. They they had a horrible game against West Virginia, though. I mean, it's you know they were looking mm-hmm. great defensively against Oklahoma State, and then. And leading up to that game as well, and then they kind of lay an egg. It's kind of easy to look good against Oklahoma State defensively, if we're being honest. Yeah, it's you know, unless you're Kansas, but then oh, you played Kansas. I I do think their defense is generally pretty good. I think West Virginia kind of figured some things out offensively, but uh, yeah, um, you know, it's I would it's Iowa State though. You know how they play against OU. I my concern, I just based on it being Iowa State, I would put that at seven. Then Bedlam, when Oklahoma doesn't overlook Oklahoma State, it tends to go very poorly for Oklahoma State. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I – 
It's going to be a crazy environment. I'm going to be there, I think. Probably going to be pretty cold. Um, I'd, I'd put that at a five or a six. I, I just – I don't think – I think Oklahoma State's defense is fantastic, but a guy like Caleb Williams has a way of making your defense look a little bit less fantastic. So, uh, you know, I think Oklahoma would probably – I'm pretty confident in them winning in uh in Stillwater, and the same if they play again in Arlington. I mean, I know it's tough to beat a team twice, but I think uh, you know just kind of the edge Oklahoma historically has over Oklahoma State. I think probably gets in Oklahoma State's head a little bit, and you know it's uh I, I like their chances. So yeah, five or six for upset alert for Bedlam. I would say. See, and I would feel like we probably have similar similar ideas here. I mean. Iowa State typically, I mean, they return this. They return basically the same guys they did last year, with the exception yeah. of, a, of a couple of guys, just like Oklahoma. They, they should be a lot better than they are. Yeah. They should. And and Baylor, their offense to me is mystifying. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. I feel yeah. like their offense is good enough to keep. It it just depends what OU defense shows up. If yeah. the OU defensive line shows up. A, ready to go because you you finally got to see Stripling back on the field because it wasn't just that OU was missing Jalen Redmond. OU's been missing several guys on both sides of the ball, and people have been missing that. Like OU played Stripling for the first time in a while. Like, and of course that's why you that's why you saw you've been seeing a ton of Ethan Downs. You've been seeing a ton of Reggie Grimes, but he Reggie Grimes was getting plenty of time in the first place. But you saw Stripling coming in the game and all that other good stuff against Texas Tech. And so for Baylor, I feel like their offense is maybe good enough to stay on the field against OU, and I feel like Baylor and Iowa State are two teams that may actually try to limit possessions for OU. Yeah. And I feel like those those are the kinds of teams that are going to give, of course, they've, gave, they've given OU trouble already this season, yeah. and their offenses are good enough to do such things, and their defenses – might be more than formidable, especially one coached by Dave Aranda and the other one coached by, uh, oh, what's the guy from Iowa State? Such an age. Haycock, yeah. And and so, and, but, so like for, for me, both of those games, I'm at like sevens or eights. I'm, I'm, I'm not like ringing the alarm saying, hey, like this is bad, but I'm saying, hey, I'm concerned and, but I'm actually excited to watch those games and see how it turns out. Bedlam, that offense for Oklahoma State is anemic. I'm Spencer Sanders. I know he's been playing a little bit better, but it their defense is great. Their defense is fantastic. Their defense is really good. Uh, they haven't played an offense of like like Oklahoma's, especially one that's coming together, especially one that they're spreading the ball around, especially one that uh, there's Oklahoma has so much to give offensively. But at the same time, if Oklahoma doesn't get their stuff figured out in the trenches on on the offensive line, you're going to have some issues there. But again, it's Gundy. It's Oklahoma State. So my worry level for Oklahoma State is that a five, about a five or six, kind of like you. So I'm not too worried about Bedlam. Bedlam a second time in a row if Oklahoma makes it there and if Oklahoma State makes it there, that makes it a little bit different. But if Oklahoma just plays clean and cleans up any penalties because against Kansas, they had eight, they had eight penalties in the first half. A lot of yeah. teams only have they, a lot of teams don't even have eight penalties in an entire game. So Oklahoma kept on shooting themselves in the foot, killing their own drives. As long as they play a clean game on the offensive line, 
they don't even have to add, they don't even have to reach 150 yards rushing. I'm just saying, just play clean game, play pass pro, let Caleb Williams run with his legs, utilize his legs, which is a good reason that Oklahoma's heading into a bye, and which is fantastic for them at the right moment. But yeah, so that's it, it's just so interesting. And then I love the fact that after OU came back against Texas, twenty down twenty eight to seven, we saw a lot of see you in December's. And uh, now they're four and four, and they've got monkey problems. I mean, big and, problems. Uh, yeah, you gotta. I mean, Michael Scott would say uh, he doesn't have money problems. He has he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have, he doesn't have money problems. He has monkey problems. No monkey no problems. And uh, gosh, I was trying I was trying to follow that story. We were talking about it before we started recording. So the guy, I don't I don't even know what, what is he is he a special teams coach? Yeah, yeah. He he. He is now in a relationship with a, a with a formidable a woman that is a is she a, is she a she was on Jerry Springer. She's an she is an exotic dancer who has that's, like that's 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 the name like for them. Yes, an act, and part of this act is a small monkey, who I guess also doubles as an emotional support animal, supposedly. It's a strange. So, um, uh, anyway, supposedly <laughs> a child was bitten by this monkey while trick or treating, and um, yeah, I mean it's there. The accounts of it kind of differ. This uh, pole assassin, as she is dubbed, um, that's her stage name. That's not me just calling her that. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, that's correct. Um, she is saying that. It was a whole lie, her words, um, and that it was not a vicious bite, but that the, she did not deny that the bite happened. The bite did happen. I guess a kid, according to her, got into their, got through their back gate because I guess, you know, I mean, who would lock their back gate on Halloween night? I mean, you know, you know, that seems like something that one would do, but I guess not them. But anyway. Supposedly a kid goes in their backyard. The monkey is caged in the backyard. Kids puts the uh, hand in the monkey cage, gets bitten by the monkey, has to go to like a doctor who lives down the street, some neighborhood guy, and probably put a Band-Aid on it. And uh, seems like it was probably nothing. But the other account is that the monkey's jaws were clenched so tight that it had to be pried Yep. off of the child that's the other account um that's what i saw that's I'm the one glad i glad for the child's sake that it sounds like the former is probably the more likely scenario but that doesn't make this any less notable and it makes it a little more funny because someone was Still not funny. serious hurt, supposedly so uh we get to laugh at it quite a bit and we get to uh kind of make fun of Texas a little bit more as if they hadn't earned enough already. Um, yeah, this is, this has been very surreal. It's been hilarious. It's been a weird, it's been a weird year for them. They, they've, because it's going up 27, 28, seven on Oklahoma. Things have gotten, you were there, right? You were there. Yeah, keep Austin weird. It, it's gotten weirder. Um, and I just remember, blow, I just, remember all the social media from january 
and they're like they hired Sark and they're like, Oh, Texas like I bookmarked all those tweets. Oh, yeah. Texas is back. It's like just wait to football season. Like pump the yeah. brakes, homie. Please, God. Like we do this every three years with Texas with the new coach. So uh you know, I mean Sark is he is a good offensive mind. I mean, there's no disputing that. I mean, his track record speaks for itself as far as a you know play caller is concerned. He's good about that, but um Seems like the wheels are kind of falling off in Austin again. I mean, uh, Joshua Moore apparently got in a, you know, fight with the coaching staff, a verbal altercation with the coaching staff. Uh, I saw that. Today at practice and his status with the team is now questionable. Um, yeah, uh, drama in Austin. So, uh, yeah, drama of many shapes and sizes down there right now. So if you... Uh, you hate to see it, but um, that's the reality down in Austin right now. So, and is what it is. I keep on thinking about this over and over and over, especially now that they're four and four. I mean, we saw them get pummeled by Arkansas, who completely whipped up front. They got their offensive their ass, line is not good. They got their ass really beat, and 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 I and I. And I love the and I and I love Gerald for this. I love Gerald Goodridge and Kyle Carpenter. They they are like my favorite dudes to podcast with from yeah. opposing teams. They're just good dudes. And I, I remember messaging Gerald after the OU Texas game. I was like, listen, Gerald, homie, I am not at all sorry about the outcome of this game, nor should I be. But I because I like you and because I love you as a brother. I am sorry with the way it happened. And but realistically, looking at next year, how do you think they fare in the SEC? Because their offensive well, yeah, line woes, they I don't mean, get yeah, any better. Uh, they don't get any better. No. And I mean this this kind of thing, I mean, it can't be helping recruiting. I mean, they, they have a pretty good class right now for 2022, but um you know, how well they close with this going on remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, they should be getting a little boost, you know, in the 2023 class with, you know, these two schools kind of, you know, under the table targeting a 2023 debut in the SEC. So, yeah, they should be getting a little boost there. But, you know, as we've seen in the past, recruiting is not the uh, it's not a Band-Aid for all of the ills that plague texas um internally so uh of course i mean they've know, been they've, they've been top 10 top 15 recruiting yeah. classes i mean if ever you since think the beginning the cultural of time. Rot, if you think the cultural rot is going to be on display in the big 12 imagine what it's going to look like in the sec Yeesh. i mean it's uh they're not going to be i mean they'll play vanderbilt occasionally but i mean you're not gonna <laughs> be facing kansas and texas tech very often i mean you're you're your schedule is not really going to allow for you to coast by it all. I mean, you're uh, you're going to see some Texas teams that miss bowl games, I think, in the early going. I think it's possible. And, you know, I was actually – I was talking to Brady this Saturday while watching the Texas Tech game. Uh, I And I was – of course, I was live tweeting the game. And I said, well, lots of OU – because we were tailgating. I was like, well, lots of OU fans leaving leaving the stadium – Oh, you actually must be winning convincingly <laughs> for the first time in a while. Hey, I mean, that and... was a sore eyes. I mean, that's that's the OU that I know is, I mean, playing the really thing well I follow... in the first half and everyone leaving at halftime. Yeah, 
the, but the thing I followed up with is when Oklahoma's in the SEC, what are Ole Miss and Alabama fans? Well, of course, OU is not going to stay for Alabama. Uh, OU's, OU fans will stay for Alabama, but what are Ole Miss fans and what are SEC fans going to think of OU just basically emptying out like a oh, quarter it, that, of the stadium? It, it's it's not an OU thing. Trust me. Like Alabama, Saban has complained about that with Alabama students for years them leaving, you know, at halftime. I mean, Bama does this too. And I mean, Ole Miss, I mean, you know, when they're not playing a good team, they're out in the Grove. I mean, they're, That's I mean, fair. Yeah. And same with LSU. I mean, LSU's tailgating is fantastic. If they're, uh, you know, if they're up big on an opponent or if they're playing like an FCS school or something like that, they're out, they're outside. I mean, they're, they're not all staying in the yeah. stadium. So this is hardly an issue that is isolated to Oklahoma. I will say. Now, it gets more attention around these parts because Oklahoma is the school that over the past 10 years and longer than that has been, uh, you know, typically dominating opponents at home and uh, has been kind of distinguished in the conference as far as that's concerned. So it kind of sticks out in our world, but uh, in the SEC, mm -hmm. they, it's it's something that goes on more than you would think. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, Florida too. I mean, Florida does this as well. I mean, it's it's not just it's not an OU thing. It's it it's pretty widespread. Okay, well, that's that's fair. That's fair. And one of the last two things that we'll talk about, we've already talked about this, but I want to bring up get your opinion. Uh, I've been in a lot of research classes. For those that don't know, the reason why, like, we I'm not too many pods have been dropping this season as much as last season as a me and Jack both got married and have been super busy as crap. I recently, I People started don't my realize how busy preparing for a wedding is, even if you're the groom. Oh my God. It's so like, stressful too. Like, I mean, it's obviously worse for the bride by like a lot, but I mean, yes, I would agree with that. Pulled into things too. I mean, we, we have to, I was in know, charge of the cake and in in other things and i was like mortified that i was in charge of the cake and other things but yeah we, we've been busy but hey how do you feel like because i've been in, i've been in research classes because uh, i'm in my and i'm in the middle of my phd program and i thought okay here's my issue with the college football playoff stuff is that it is with the rankings it is exclusively based upon the thoughts of humans. And yeah. so when I think about it, I think of grading papers. I think of, for example, and when you're in high school or, or, or like secondary school there, you have the chance to take an AP class. And in these AP classes, you typically have essays you have to write. And so there's like a multiple choice section where, they just run your paper through a scantron machine, and that score is already done. Then the paper, then an essay goes off to like somebody like you and me, and that's where the human component gum comes in, where you might give a student a point for something, but I might not. So the whole human aspect comes into this thing, and whether like what what our own ideologies are upon grasping what should count for what, and so I think the whole human element behind it is flawed because humans structurally ourselves are flawed beings. Mm -hmm. So here's my, here, here's my thought. And I want to get your opinion on it as well. So there's different kinds of research. There's qualitative research, which is like 
what we're having right now, a discussion, a dialogue. There's quantitative research, which just is just pure numbers, number crunching computers. What I have always thought is maybe a mixed methods approach to where we're looking at combining the BCS and combine the computers with the human aspect of the rankings and just put it in a plug it into some machine or an algorithm and see what pops out. Because if you look at the BCS and their formula, OU is number two. You look at this committee, they rank OU at number eight, like Alan suggested. What do you think is the best best methodology for ranking in the college football playoff? So here is kind of how I feel about it. I'm fine with an 18 playoff. Now, if, I agree. if they want to do 12, whatever, that's fine. But um, eight, I think, makes a little more sense. I think that's a good number. You're allowing teams that might be deserving to enter the fold. But, you know, when you get past eight, then no. I mean, if you're, if you're ninth or tenth, you don't really have a compelling argument. But if you're, say, if you're number seven Cincinnati, then they probably deserve a seat at the table as far as this is concerned. Well, so, hell, you know, remember TCU and Baylor. TCU got nudged out. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think an eight-team format where you automatically include the five Power Five conference champions. I think it's cool for conference championships to uh, kind of carry a certain amount of weight. I think that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, that means something. And see, here's the thing. It makes conference championship races dramatic. Say this year when, you know, the ACC is garbage this year and they have no hope of getting into the playoff. Right. If it were an eight-team format where the conference champion automatically got in, people would be paying a little bit more attention nationally to the ACC mm -hmm. right now. Right. Not because they necessarily think that one of those teams would go on to win the national championship, but, you know, people would be, you know, closely following someone like Wake Forest saying, hey, could they do this? Maybe they could, uh, if they right. win the uh, ACC championship, they could be in the college football playoff. How crazy is that? Um, and then beyond those five, you would have the three at-larges and maybe put one, maybe, maybe not dedicate one space to the group of five. I think... Mm. It would be okay to do that, but if you if not, and you just wanted to use an at large sort of to uh, be a de facto landing spot for a group of five school, then that would be fine as well. And then, you know, Notre Dame. I'm trying to think. I would like it to where you would have to be a conference champion to be in the top four of the seeding, and. In my mind, I like a system where the first round is uh, at campus sites. But with Notre Dame, Notre Dame, their schedule usually stacks up well enough. Lately, some of their historical opponents haven't really measured up. But, uh, you know, usually their schedule is decent enough where they can, you know, kind of warrant some respect as far as that's concerned. But uh, I think you could make an exception for Notre Dame and allow them to be in the top four if they go undefeated or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, so for those last at-larges, I think that's where you can allow the human element to enter it. And there you can kind of create that, you know, manufactured drama that we have with the uh, college football playoff committee and all that. I think 
you know, you would be discussing, you know, letting a two loss Alabama in here at the end of the year, right? You know, right. taking one of those at large spots where you would talk about, you know, maybe a one loss or two loss Big Ten team, whether or not they would deserve a spot, whether or not, you know, whoever's the runner up in the Big 12 should get in. You know, if say, if let's say hypothetically, if Oklahoma State were to beat OU in Stillwater and then win, or say other way around, say if OU were to, uh, yeah, OSU wins in Stillwater and then OU wins, wins the in Big 12 title. OU gets the spot. I mean, OSU would have a compelling argument to be number eight there at that point. So, uh, right. have losses and a win over OU. So, uh, it would be a good little debate. I mean, you could, you know, and again, you can debate the uh, group of five conferences every year, whether they should be included in that. So, yeah, I agree. I think, I think, I think they, they have more, to expand to eight. Yeah. I think that would be a more equitable approach. And I, like I said, with the conference championship races, I think that would be a good way to, kind of drum up some drama and some intrigue there. So I think that's the way I'd go about it. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think that's fair. I think, I think you, I think after seeing this for a few years now, you've got to expand to eight. I mean, I mean, TCU that year with Trayvon Boykin, they could have won the national title. They They, they, they had a legit shot. At winning a national, their defense was good enough. That offense was fun enough to win a national title. They yeah. even scored, like, they even dropped, like, 60 or 70 points on the last opponent, knowing they would have to have style points, and Ohio State right. still jumped them. And Ohio State yeah. won the whole damn thing. Yeah. With Cardell I mean, Jones. Alabama was kind of vulnerable, and Alabama got, you know, whooped by Ohio State that year. So, I think TCU team who uh, whipped uh, Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl, a good Ole Miss team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they would have been really competitive in that field of four. And yeah. if you put them in a field of eight like that, I think they would have held their own for sure and would have been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, because I think I think of course 12 is 12 is too much. 12 is too much. If you're at 9, 10, 11, 12, no, there's no way. But like fringe five, six, seven, I feel like that's okay. And so like just add the eighth team in there just for extra for the extra team to compete. That is what's necessary. And honestly, college football, it's all about money. And that earns you more money and more eyes to, te- to TV set after a year when you didn't have as much people watching live sports. And that means a lot. And so speaking of going into this bye week, what are you going to spend your bye week doing? I know there's one game I'm watching. I, I know for sure I'm going to be watching the Auburn A&M game because that's really the, the only ranked on ranked te- that's really the only ranked on ranked game heading into this weekend. What are you spending your weekend doing? Well, I am going to the wedding of two very good OU fans. Shout out to Ali and Omid going to their wedding on Saturday night. But um, yeah, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to watching Oklahoma State play West Virginia because I think they might be on a little bit of upset alert in Morgantown, honestly, with uh, them kind of West Virginia kind of hitting their stride right now and uh, playing in Morgantown. So that's going to be an interesting one. That's uh, one to keep my eye on for sure. And we're uh, we're going to try our hand at grooming Archie, our dog, and because um, mm. he's. He's a very good dog, but he gets anxious around groomers, and uh, it's time. It's time. We're gonna try to try our hand at that. We're gonna 
Good we luck. bought some clippers and everything. We're gonna, you know, try it. It's probably not gonna go well. So, uh, you know, there are there are there are like do- there are dog there are dog chews you can get that are like calming agencies. It's basically oh we oh we've gone through that. No no no. Oh, no, no okay, no. they, still, they, that, they, that they, do they don't work. Arch. No Archie. Okay. No no his uh, his hyperactivity goes well beyond any kind Give of. Give this like, man some Benadryl like that. No, like we we have he's had he has prescriptions to calm him down. In Holy this crap! Okay, and they have not worked. They have not worked. He's a good boy, but he just does not do well at the groomers. So uh, maybe he'll do well with his mom and dad there, trying to calm him down. But I'm not. Uh, That's fair. Not That's so fair. sure. Not, so. not too confident about that situation. Nah. But... Well, probably gonna get bit a few times. We'll see. <laughs> Man, that's all I got. Do you have anything else? think we've covered quite a bit i mean we've covered you know monkeys strippers covered, uh, monkey biting a trick-or-treater i think we've Love pretty it. much covered every base here all right well hey guys everybody listening to the podcast go and follow us on twitter at cc machine you can follow jack jack's usually on the cc machine handle you can follow us regular at at j larry shields you can follow me at cam robin ccm you can follow Steven at OEFDSB. He just got back from Austin. He's having a little bit of sinus thing. Or else he'd be with us tonight. Follow Alan Kenny at Blatant Homerism. Follow us on Crimson at CreamMachine.com. We have a lot of good people there. We've got a lot of good stuff dropping all the time. Read Alan's article specifically stating why nobody should be shocked. OU was being placed at number eight for the BCS, yeah. or not for the BCS, for the Colstral Playoff Rankings. That's important. Go check that out. But otherwise, everybody, enjoy your weekend of college football, not having to stress whether or not OU's going to cover, whether OU's going to play a close game. Just enjoy a great weekend of college football, and we will check you guys later. <laughs>